There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Jonah. And as you're turning, please stand in honor and reverence to God's Word. Jonah chapter number 3. Pick up our reading in verse number 3 of chapter 3. Last week we left off with the first two verses and showed how God is a God of second chances. Amen? I thank God I wouldn't be serving Him today had there not been a second chance. Now I want to delve in a little deeper into Jonah's response to God. Jonah chapter number 3 and look at verse number 3. So Jonah arose... And went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. How God uses you and me. How God uses you and me. Now you may not think this has much to do with service and much to do uh, with, uh, with God using our lives for His honor and glory. But I would beg to differ. There is a lot of principles in these two verses that deal with you serving God. With you serving God. With all of our lives given over to serve the Lord Jesus. Let's delve into it this morning. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. God, we pray He be glorified in the preaching of your word. God, speak to hearts. Father, let us not preach upon our Christian usage for your honor and glory without putting at its centerpiece the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what purchased us. That's why we're owned by you. And may sinners see that gospel and come and know you in saving faith. But God, I pray you'd help us all to give ourselves completely again, readily, ready to serve you. And to whatever place you'd call us, however you'd call us to serve you. God, we'd ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You know, when it comes to being used of God, there seems to be a never-ending list of reasons why God can't use you. Isn't that right? Sometimes when we sit here and I, I speak about you know God using you and, and you being employed and God helping uh, you, you, you being used of God to do things in the church, you come up with a list of things in your heart and mind that are objections to that. But if God used the same measuring stick for usage with many people in the Bible, God would never have used any of them in the Bible either. You take, for example, Moses was a stutterer. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by the Apostle Paul. And Timothy had ulcers. 
Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Uh, Jeremiah was depressed and even suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loud mouth. Martha was a worry ward. Mary was lazy. Samson had long hair. And Noah got drunk in his life. Listen, if God used the same measuring stick for usage that you use for yourself, half the people in the Bible would have never been used of God. Did I mention Moses had a short fuse? So did Peter. So did Paul. And well, pretty much everybody else had a short fuse. And God still used them. In each case, God used these people in a mighty way. Listen, when it comes to God's usage, God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like bosses, but He's more like a father than a boss. He doesn't look at our financial gains and losses. He's, he's, uh, he's not prejudiced or partial, not overly critical or grudging or demanding of high qualifications. He's not deaf to our cry, nor is He blind to our need. He knows our limitations. He knows your handicaps, and none of which stand in His way of using you. To do great and mighty things. You know, in the chapters 1 and 2, God had a work for Jonah. A work for Jonah to do. A place for Jonah to be used of God. But that place lie, lie vacant because of Jonah's rebellion and refusal all through chapters number 1 and 2. But there's nothing like a little belly time to change someone's mind. There's nothing like a little walk out to God's woodshed to set us back on the right track. And in chapter number 3, God has Jonah's undivided attention. God comes to Jonah the second time. There wasn't a question about Jonah's calling. God came to him again. God was persistent. He came with a second chance. He came again with his call. On the same mission, with the same cause, to the same people. And this time, Jonah is employed in the service of God. You know, for you and I uh, that know the Lord, who claim Him as our Lord and Savior, these verses hold valuable insight into being used of God. How can God use us? Failing. Faltering, broken, beggarly. How can God use us? Where can God use us? Why does God use us? I believe all of these questions are answered in these two verses. Now, it is clear that all of us can be instruments in the hands of God. Used for His purposes and for His glory. But how does God do that? How does God take someone like me? A backslider, a fornicator, 
a drunkard. How does God use one who has fallen more times than can be counted for his honor and his glory? Every one of us can know, that know the Lord as Savior can better understand how God uses us by looking at three assurances given to us in these verses. There are three assurances. I'm going to assure you of some things this morning that will firm your resolve to serve Jesus. It'll give you confidence. It'll help you this morning. It'll help you in finding a place for God to use you for your life, for the rest of your life, or for the remaining days of your life. I want you to see, first of all, God uses us as pliable people, but not perfect. God uses us as pliable people, not perfect. Now, if you and I were looking to fill a position of minister of evangelical outreach in the city of Nineveh, we would be looking for someone with, I don't know, someone with like Billy Graham qualities, D.L. Moody qualities, wouldn't we? We'd be looking for someone with good looks, a great charm, a little bit of a southern drawl that welcomes people in. We would look for someone of top-notch quality, able to communicate, Yes, that would make sense. Uh, uh, Someone that would take a city by storm. But that is not what God did. In the greatest revival ever recorded in the history of man, God didn't choose a Billy Graham style. God didn't choose a D.L. Moody. He didn't choose a Charles Spurgeon. He didn't use, he didn't, he didn't even, he didn't even choose a C.T. Townsend. Amen. As good a preacher C.T. He didn't choose someone like, they think the opposite. He chose Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. Jonah is the worst case scenario for you choosing somebody to do an evangelistic crusade. Notice first of all, Jonah's resume was not disqualifying. Jonah's resume was not disqualifying. Now, if we were, we were reviewing Jonah's most recent entries on his resume, it might cause us to lift an eyebrow, don't you think? It would be filled with a purposeful retreat from the call of God. A desire to be as far from God as possible. An intent to rather Dive and do the will of God. Oh yeah, that's the person you want on your evangelistic outreach. That's the person God wants to use, right? I mean, the resume would have been all negative. Oh, there was uh, this stint. Then there was this stint in the fish's belly that really can't be explained. You know, we might shake our heads and take his resume and say no and file it in the, in the, in the trash, right? We put it in the trash. We wouldn't want to use someone like that for such a great undertaking as God calling somebody to Nineveh. But that's not how God operates. Because if that were the case, then truth be known, none of us would be used, uh, be usable as a candidate. Day, you see, you have not always uh, a speak. You know, none of us have always been speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. That not a one of us have always responded and stood, yes, sir, when God called. You and I both have run from God and said no to God. We have purposefully uh, put distance between us and the will of God for our lives. Not to mention our heart condition. You know, 
I, you know, sometimes, you know, you can overlook a lot of negatives, maybe. You know, he's not the best, you know, he's not the best preacher. You know, he's just, he just doesn't have the right stage presence, you know. But, boy, he's really got a heart for those people. He's really got a heart to reach Cambodia. We, we can hang everything on that. You can't even do that with Jonah. Jonah didn't have a heart for these people. As a matter of fact, we'll read in chapter number 4 that Jonah's got a heart problem. He got all upset, ticked off when God spared, spared Nineveh. He wanted to see the fireworks. He wanted to see the, uh, the, the, the hailstones fall from the sky, a brimstone come out of the clouds and collapse the city of Nineveh. It didn't happen. And he got mad. He got upset about the whole thing. No, Jonah's heart wasn't even right. Jonah wanted these people to die. I believe this is at the root of why he never obeyed God in the first place. He knew he was a God of mercy. He knew he was a saving God. And he would be responsible for bringing that good news to that city that he wanted to be in ashes. He wanted them to die. No! He ran as far as he could in the opposite direction. You see, Jonah's heart wasn't even right. And going into chapter 3, don't you know that God knew that? Deep down inside, God knew that Jonah hated these people, that he wanted them to perish in the flames, that he didn't want them to exist. And truth be known, our hearts are not always in the right place. Our hearts are not always the way they should be toward the community around us. Toward the very people in our church. Toward our very brothers and sisters that we sit in pews with week in and week out. Our hearts aren't always right and what they should be. Now should we want to be close to God? You better believe it. If we want to be used of God, my recommendation is get as close to God as you possibly can. Get a hold of Jesus. Don't let go. Love Him. Worship Him. Get as close to God. Read your Bible. Pray. Seek His face. Witness. Share. Get as close to God as possible. And when it comes to your heart, always endeavor to keep your heart right with God. Get out in this altar and confess your sin. We got the most, man, we got the most holy church in the world. We might the most holy people in the world because I rarely ever see anybody publicly come and say I messed up in this altar. But listen, for us that do mess up, and well, man, when your heart's not right with God, get out of this altar, get in the pew, seek God's face, cry out to Him. Do that. Get close to God. Cry out to God. Make sure your heart's right. The point is, is that we do not have to be perfect Christians for God to use you. That's what God's showing us. God is showing us that we don't have to be, you don't have to be me, and I don't have to be, I don't have to be Billy Graham for God to use me. You see, God can use us as we are. God can take a crooked stick like you and draw a straight line with it. Doesn't have to be a perfect instrument. 
Just because your spiritual resume has some gaping holes and some inconsistencies in it doesn't mean that God cannot use you. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 20 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, have it not many wise men after the flesh, many mighty and not many noble are called. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. All the better if you don't have any skill. All the better if you don't have any eloquence. All the better that you don't have any cooth or any, or, or any uh, social skills. Or, or all the better. Listen, God gets all the glory for what you do and how He uses you. Jonah's resume was not disqualified. You may look over your life and look, oh man, I'm applying, I'm applying this morning for God to use me and, and looking at resume, my resume in the lobby. I just don't think I cut it. Away with that. It's not going to disqualify you. It's not going to disqualify you from doing great things for the kingdom of God. Notice not only Jonah's resume was not disqualifying, but Jonah's response was decisive. Verse number two, or verse number three. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh. It didn't quite disqualify him. According to the word of the Lord. The most important qualifier in Jonah for being used of God is found in that middle phrase. According to the word of the Lord. The deciding factor in God's usage of Jonah to fulfill his purpose was Jonah's obedience. Do you want to know what will disqualify you from God using you? Disobedience. Saying no. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are our complete a testimony to that. While one and two are going on, nobody's getting right in Nineveh. And the day of judgment is getting closer and closer. God used Jonah in spite of himself on that boat to lead some sailors to the Lord. But that's nothing compared to what God will do with him when he's in obedience. I want you to notice that phrase in verse number 3. It says, Jonah rose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Brother Ronnie, how did you know you was called to preach? Brother Ronnie, how did you know you were called to do that? How did you know you were called to this church? I haven't a clue. I couldn't tell you. But I do know this. Is that I was re- as I was reading this book, and studying this book, everything got real clear. No, no, I didn't, I didn't read in here. Brother Ronnie, you need to go to Gethsemane Baptist Church and be their pastor. I didn't read in here. Ronnie Brown of, of Trent, of Wildwood, Georgia. You, ding, 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 you've been called to pastor. You've been called to pre- No, nothing like that, nothing like that. But I do want this, I do want you to know this. That when we read this book, God is able to show us His will. To lead us into that will. Don't ask me how, how to explain it. How he does it. But he does. 
Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you said, Brother Ronnie, I want to do something for God. I want God to use you. And yet you never crack this book. You never read its words. Yet you never study it out. Yet you never hide it in your heart. I can tell you why you don't know. Why so many young people are meandering around. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know. I don't. You want to know why? Because it's in here. It's in the book. It's in the Word. You're not reading the words. So you don't know. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah. We see uh, that, that his decision of obedience was, was decisive. The word came to him, and not only did it come to him, he obeyed God. You see, despite the mess up of his past, despite his dis, this divided heart on the matter, yet, yet God, yet Jonah obeyed God. You may have all kinds of questions in your heart. Homeless people. I don't want to go to homeless people. And they smell. They're sc- I don't want to go to the jail. I don't want to share the gospel in the jail. Man, take me to the nice neighborhood. Let me knock on a rich man's door that smells nice and he's got a frou-frou dog uh, that, that licks me on the ankle. That's where I want to go. Don't put me in the jail. All them scary folks. Don't do that. Listen. No matter what it is, obey. Trust God. Let Him him use you. It took some doing, but in the end, Jonah's life was finally yielded and submitted to God. Did you catch that? And Jonah did. What did he do last time? Run like a scalded dog. What did he do this time? Yielded. He submitted to God. He didn't run this time. Yes, Lord, I will do as your word says. It is said that Queen Victoria once brought General Booth, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Back then, the Salvation Army just wasn't a charity organization that hands out clothes and nothing else. They used to preach on the street corner. They'd bring a band out, play some music, get a crowd, and somebody with a stand-up with a Bible would preach the gospel. They would invest themselves in the poor in the name of Jesus Christ to save souls. William Booth was the starter, the founder of that. And uh, Queen Victoria asked him, what is the secret to his success? Here's what was his response. I guess the reason is because God has had all there is of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, even with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision for what Christ could do uh, with me and them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, all the influence of my life does God have all of you does God have you all are you living in a divided heart well God can have my Sunday morning slice but that's about it he can't have Sunday night and Wednesday night and God can have a a little bit of a tip of the hat on Sunday morning but forget the rest of the week. I'm telling you, might as well forget it. You'll never, you'll never, you will be inept and never be used of God 
until you invest in worshiping Him, identifying with His people, yielding yourself to Him? No. Here we see uh, that the, uh, the William Booth yielded his all. God's had all of me. Does God have all of you? Or is it something else? It gets back to what I said last week. And last week stuck in my crawl so bad. We need to all get on God's agenda and chunk our own. We need to chunk our own. This place and God doing something here doesn't need to be on the periphery. It needs to be the focal point. This needs to be everything. This is what will happen eternally. This is eternal things that are happening in this place. Or should I say, not happening in this place. Eternal things need to be done. Get on God's agenda. Get on obedience to Him. Listening for His Word. God uses us as a pliable people. Not as perfect. You say, Brother Ronnie, I'm not perfect. Great. Just as long as He can bend you. Mold you. Shape you. Notice second of all. Second assurance. Hey, that's a good assurance. God uses pliable people, not perfect ones. But also God sends us to purposeful places, not potential ones. Now if you and I were going to orchestrate a citywide revival campaign, chances are we would not pick New York City, Las Vegas, or San Francisco. Right? I mean, that's a that's a bit to bite off right there. That, that's, that's a pretty big bite off of evangelistic uh, starting point. No, we'd look for a place a little more with a little more potential. You know, we might look look at we might look for reaching. I don't know Trenton, Georgia. There's a lot of churches, and we can band them together, get a big group together, and we could see some people say, maybe in Rossville, city of Rossville. Maybe we go down and we could we could start an evangelistic crusade, you know, out in the grass here, set us up a tent. You know, Rossville might be a good epicenter for God to do something and save some people's souls. We might we might look for something a little more, a little more bite-sized, a little more scaled down. A little place that might be a little bit more receptive than New York, uh, New York, Las Vegas, or San Francisco. But that's not what God did. But not to worry, God's purposeful placement wins over man's potential every time. Let me say that again. God's purposeful placement wins over man's potential every time. Notice, first of all, I want you to see God's sovereignty over mission setting. God's sovereignty over mission setting. Go back to verse number 3. That last phrase is our focus. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Nineveh was a sprawling metropolis of that ancient world. It was home to nearly 600,000 people, over half a million people, which in that ancient time period was absolutely astounding. There was nothing like it elsewhere in the world. It was about 60 miles in circumference. There were 1,200 towers, each of which were 200 feet tall. The walls were 100 feet tall and three chariot widths in width. 
thickness. Three chariots could ride on the tops of these walls in the city of Nineveh. These, uh, this three day, did you notice in our text it said an exceeding great city of three days journey. The phrase would indicate that it would be three days walk to see all the sites. Uh, uh, archaeologists tell us that, that one could traverse the, the, the diameter of the city in, in about a day. But here we see that it was uh, maybe the three, and many people don't know, they don't know if it's the outlying areas, they would take three days to go across the outlying areas, or whether in the city it would take three days to see all the sites. I mean, if you were to come to Chattanooga and you were to see the sites, where would you go? You, you, you'd, you'd go to the aquarium, and then you'd go to maybe Rock City, Ruby Falls, and then you'd, you'd, you'd go to uh, somewhere in the battlefield. You'd go to these different places, and, and you'd do that in a matter of days. Think of your own foot going to these different places three days. That would, that's the indication. That's what I believe happened is that Jonah entered the city, and he began to go to these different locations within the city and to give his message from God. But notice that it was a massive city. And it seems like, what, what did God send? He didn't send an army of prophets. He didn't send a, 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 a crew of twelve prophets. He sends one lone preacher into a city of over a half a million people. To the outside, to the outside world, this would seem like a fool's errand. This is ridiculous. Why? One man? To cover and to preach to well, this massive city. But God's sovereignty above this single prophet is more powerful than the intimidation of the setting around here. Wherever God calls you to, whatever He calls you to do, it's no match for God's sovereign control over any situation. Listen, if God calls you uh, to do a specific work, you know, we've been going around these neighborhoods for quite a while, Brother Dave, Brother Bill. We've been knocking on doors. Others of you that have gone with us, knocking on the doors. And it seems like it's a drop in the bucket. There's so many houses so many little hidden neighborhoods and people around to invite to church to try to share the gospel with. And, and it just seems like such a, a drop in the bucket. But hey, listen, no matter how sprawling our community may seem, it is no match for the sovereign hand of God to take a message, to take our, our attempts at gospel growth, our attempts at kingdom expansion, and to grow it into and do great work into that city. Wherever God calls us to. Whatever He calls us to do, it's no match for God's sovereign control over any situation. Whatever little part we play in can potentially be and powerfully be used of God. D.L. Moody said this, A good many are kept out of the service of Christ, deprived of the luxury of working for God because they're trying to do something great. Let us be willing to do little things and yet let us remember that nothing is small which God is the source. What I'm saying is, well, you sit there on a Thursday night and it's 6 o'clock. Well, yeah, I'm just not going to go knock on the door. It ain't going to make no difference. Maybe one or two houses. Up. You don't know 
You don't know what house lies in your path. You don't know what impact you'll make in someone's life. You don't know what you do for this church by knocking on a door, by handing out a track at the gas station, by, by inviting someone from, uh, to church from the checkout. You don't know. You don't know how the sovereign God of the universe can take your little effort and turn it into massive returns for the kingdom of God. If you'll just be surrendered, if you'll be yielded, if you'll say, God, I'll do what you ask me to do. His sovereign power can do what we, can, what we can't even believe. Notice not only God's sovereignty over, man, over, over mission setting, but God's spirit over man's sinfulness. Now remember, Nineveh was a fountainhead of sin and wickedness. Historians believe that once the Tower of Babel happened and all the people spoke different languages, that the man that started that tower, the Tower of Babel, moved that city over to Nineveh. It has ties to Babel, the Tower of Babel. It is a city, a city that is steeped in sin and wickedness. Ninevites would impale their enemies, skin them alive, hang the skins on their walls, cut off their heads and pile them up like pyramids outside the gate and lead the captives by, lead their captives by hooks in their noses and lips. It was a city steeped in idolatry and pagan ritual. It was blinded in cruelty and violence, in adultery and, and, and rebellion against God. And here comes one lone prophet. Even if he were to preach, even if he were to preach on every street corner in the whole city for three days... He would have never spoken into the ear of every individual in that city. And what do we know about the book of Jonah? It tells us the whole city repented, turned to God in ashes and sackcloth. Jonah couldn't have spoken to all these people. He couldn't have been an earshot of every person in this city. What happened? How can you explain this? It was the Spirit of God. Although He's not mentioned per se specifically in this, the only way we can explain it is God took the feeble voice of Jonah and broadcasted the hearts all over the city who couldn't even hear what He had to say. God by word of mouth, by hook or crook, however He did it, got word to every individual in that city. That is a work of the Spirit of God. God, through His Spirit, used the message of this one man to bring literally a whole city to its knees. We know later in, in chapter number in chapter number 3, look later in chapter number 3, And so the people, in verse number 5, people uh, believed God and proclaimed a fast. And word, oh, verse number 6, for word came unto the king of Nineveh. Jonah couldn't have gotten into the palace. Jonah couldn't have made his way into the royal court. A wild-eyed prophet with seaweed hanging off his head, bleached skin, bleached uh, 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 a bile-colored skin and a, and a bleached guy. He couldn't have made it in there. 
God used God's Spirit of God, spoke to hearts through that whole city, began to spread that word. Listen, we are absolutely, for what happens in this church, we are absolutely dependent upon God's Spirit. God's Spirit. We are in desperate need of a deluge of the move of the Spirit of God in this place in this hour, we've been, we've been dry long enough. We've been barren long enough. we played church long enough. We need God's Spirit to come in power in this place. And use us to reach this community in ways we could never possibly fathom. I've exhausted everything that I can think of to reach our community. Knocking on doors. Passing out tracts. Website with all kinds of information on it. Trying to have festivals outside that would draw the attention of the community. And I've left out an element. We need God's Spirit to work in this community to do what we can't do. That's why Jonah could reach a whole city with one lone voice. The work of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit working in the hearts of people. It doesn't matter how dark and how wicked our day might be. God can do mighty work with a yielded people. I'm uh, working on an ex- a project right now and I've been reading about the Second Great Awakening. The epicenter of the Second Great Awakening was in a place in Kentucky called Rogues Harbor. You think, you think downtown Chattanooga and the back alleys of East Lake are, are, are something frightening? Rogues Harbor was frontier land. This is when America was very young, early 1800s. There's the push west. And those hills in Kentucky was a hiding place for every kind of murder, every kind of horse thief, every kind of cutthroat, every kind of gambling, every kind of wickedness. They hid up in them hills. God put a burden on a man's heart by the name of James McGreedy. Brought him out of North Carolina and the Presbyterian, uh, Cumberland Presbyterian Church brought him out of North Carolina and put him in them backwoods. He began to preach and God saved some souls. He, he began to plant some churches and we go from church to church week after week, week preaching his message. It wasn't long until people began to get word about what was going on there. He had a Lord's Supper communion service one night and and meeting just broke out. People were broken. People were saved. God moved in a mighty way. And then the next year, they're going to do the same thing. People came from all over. Uh, that's the first, it was the first camp meeting. People come in their covered wagons all over this little chapel where they're going to have the Lord's Supper. People gathered around and God moved into that service in a mighty way, in a powerful way like no one's ever seen. God hushed that people with His holy presence. It ignited a fire that went from this camp to the other camp to the other camp and took a nation by by storm. It's called the Second Great Awakening. Hundreds and thousands were brought into the kingdom of God because one man had a burden for a sin-soaked area. Would to God we get a burden for a sin-soaked area like ours. And by His Spirit, do an unusual work in our midst. Oh, listen, the Spirit, God's Spirit over man's sinfulness, God's sovereignty over mission setting. Finally, here's your second, here's your third confidence. First confidence. God uses pliable people, not perfect. God sends to purposeful places, not potential. 
God didn't send me to a place with a lot of potential. He sent me purposefully here. Last of all, God gives us a powerful proclamation, not a palatable one. Look at verse number 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, this has to be one of the most (coughs) amazing things to take place in the whole book of Jonah. (laughs) Got to admit, (coughs) I got to admit that a, a fish swallowing a man, that's pretty amazing. A fish swallowing a man and staying in there three days and three nights and getting out alive. That's shocking. But for a whole city of over a half a million people turning to God from a one sentence message, that's astounding. That's astounding. One sentence message. As a matter of fact, if Twitter existed when Jonah did this, he could tweet the whole message. It's less than 140 characters. He can just put it out on a tweet. It's that small. It's that, it's that uh, condensed. And yet this powerful proclamation literally brought the city to its knees. That's how we know. It wasn't Jonah's eloquence. <laughs> it wasn't Jonah's good looks. It wasn't Jonah's background for crying out loud. It wasn't Jonah's expertise. It wasn't Jonah's talent. It wasn't Jonah's heart. It wasn't Jonah's skill. It was God. It was God that got glory for it. Notice, first of all, I want you to see it was a severe message. He said, and Jonah began uh, began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I wonder how many in our day would have gotten the ultimatum from God. God comes to them a second time. They got seaweed. They're pulling it off their head. And he says, all right, Lord, I'll do what you want. And he says, all right, here's your message. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I wonder how many in our day and time say, oh God, that's just really not going to do that much. It's really not going really to give people a good taste in their mouth for you and for how you are. That seems a little harsh, Lord. Maybe we could say it this way. And still be faithful to the core of what you want to say. In 40 days, Nineveh will no longer enjoy the blessings of God. See, it's not quite, doesn't have the same stab to it, but yet at its core, it's still there. Yeah, Nobody's going to enjoy the blessings of God because fire and brimstone is going to be raining down on their head. Or maybe we could say it this. In 40 days, things are going to get pretty bad. And you don't want to do that. I mean, couldn't we shave it off a little bit? Couldn't we make it a little bit more palatable? A little bit more easily digested? No. The message of God that God gave Jonah was a severe message. And like it or not, child of God, your message to a lost and dying world is a severe one. It is one of, that is of great, of great severity. Matter of fact, in verse number 4, the word overthrown is descriptive of something being 
turned over quickly. You think about a plate of food. You've got a nice plate of food. Maybe you've done this before. You've got, you're at, you're at homecoming. And you've got all kinds of food. I mean, the best cooks in the church got you all your food there. And then you go to sit down and you put your plate half on the table and half off and half off one. And it turns over and splats on the floor. That's the picture of this work. It's a mess now. It was something beautiful. Nineveh was a beautiful place. Full of gardens, full of hanging gardens. A a delightful place. A marvel of of the ancient world. And God says... I'm going to lay it low. I'm going to splat it. I'm going to destroy it. Matter of fact, the same wording is used of Sodom and Gomorrah to describe what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to come in with Sodom and Gomorrah type judgment on the city of Nineveh and lay it flat. It's a severe message. It's a word. This basically God is saying in 40 days I'm going to wipe you off the map like I did Sodom and Gomorrah. Not a lot of soft edges on that message. Not a lot of feel good places for the average person. No, it's a little bit coarse that goes against the grain of their heart. That's the same thing that is true with our message. Ultimately, being used of God comes down to a message. Listen, I'm not talking about people, everyone in here being called to preach, being called to be preachers, but I am talking about this. Whether you sing, whether you lead, whether you teach, whether you you mow, whether you do this, do that, whatever you do in this place, ultimately comes down to the message we are trying to send. To the message we're trying to communicate. And that message is at the heart of everything we do. Everything you do is based on that message. That's what saved you. That's why you serve. That's why you do what you do. It's because of this message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is this. That man is wrong. Oh, isn't that hard to tell someone? In the, in the cordial society in which we live, for me particularly, I don't know about anybody else, I hate conflict. I don't like conflict. But to go to someone and to tell them they are wrong goes against the grain. It hurts. It's difficult. It is, it is, it is, it is difficult. It is unpleasant. This is the unpleasant message from which we cannot shy away because this is the message of warning. Jonah is warning these people. Judgment's coming. If people refuse this message, there's an overthrow coming. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 is clear of our warning. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The Word warns of it. Lost sinner, if you're here today and you're not saved, you're in peril. You're in danger. Judgment's coming. You cannot avoid it. You can't run from it. It is going, it is coming nonetheless. Notice also, lastly, it's a severe message, but it's also a saving message. The gospel we share is not only severe, you've got to tell them the bad news before you can tell them the good news. It's not only severe, but it has good news. There is a sense of urgency about Jonah's message. In chapter number one, Look back with me in chapter number 1. 
And in verse number 2, all God says about Nineveh is that Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for her wickedness is come up before me. God is saying that its wickedness has gone to such a level that I must address it. I must attend it. Justice demands that it be addressed now. And so God is saying, hey Jonah, it's come up before me, we need to deal with this. Now go back to verse chapter 3, verse number uh, 4. Or excuse me, uh, verse number 4. And Jonah began to enter the city a, a day's journey and cried, here's the message sanctioned by God. Yet 40 days. There's an urgency here. It went from, hey, it's just come up before me. I'm taking notice of this. We need to deal with it. To now, it's 40 days. It's almost over. I've had it. It seems as though the the cup of of God's wrath is filling to its top. By chapter 3, there's a ticking clock. Everything their sins had reached the brim. It was time for God to take action. But the message that God instructs Jonah to preach is one that is not without hope. Forty days of hope to be exact. You see, the message inherently hints that God has already been merciful. I mean, even though they're on a timeline now, when Jonah says 40 days, it indicates that God has been infinitely merciful before that. And that, that, that God is being merciful for another 40 days. Giving a space, a, a moment before the judgment of God. God's been merciful for these 40 days. The hope is that God would continue His mercy. Matter of fact, uh, look, look at verse number 9. This is the king talking to the people. Who can tell? If God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not. Here's what He's saying. God's been merciful to give us 40 days. Let us turn to God now. Let us take up this time of repentance. Let us take this moment to make things right with God. Let's do it now, He's saying. Because God has already been merciful, maybe He'll continue to be merciful. Our gospel message is a message that demands a turn to Jesus Christ and a flee from the wrath to come. Jesus was clear in Luke 13 through 13 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But in that is a message of hope that if we do perish, there is forgiveness of sin. Acts 16 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what? Thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is attainable. Salvation is to be had. Salvation is to be owned. But not only you and I, some sort of special, sanctified, holy club, but by this whole community, salvation is to be had, to be found, to be enjoyed. You see, God saves from the wrath to come. God saved, uh, uh, saved from God's ultimate overthrow. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, demanding that men repent and believe on Him. And that same man died on the cross and bore the wrath of God in His own body on the tree, buried in a grave, three days rose again to give a gospel message that saves, that saves, that saves, that brings eternal life, that uh, that uh, uh, that 
steers us away and clears us of the wrath of God. Listen, Jesus is coming again. And judgment is coming to this world. If you're here today and you've never genuinely been born again, I tell you the truth. Today is the day to be saved. Don't say no to Jesus. Come this hour and trust Him for His grace and mercy. Because you don't know whether you'll have tomorrow or not. You don't know if you'll have 24 hours and you'll be overthrown. Come to Jesus. Come to know Him. Trust Him as Savior. Be spared the wrath to come today. Think about being used of God. There's nothing more in my heart. Since God cornered me that day in, in that bedroom at 180 Main Avenue in Wildwood, Georgia, there is no greater thing that I want than God to use me. And when I, if there's any frustration, as though I don't think God is using me. If there's any frustrations that enter my life, is thinking that God might be done with me. Listen, don't you want God to use you? I'm telling you, there's no greater satisfaction. There's no greater fulfillment in the days of our existence than for the God of heaven to hold you in His hand and use you for an instrument of His glory. Whether it be behind this pulpit, whether it be behind the scenes, whether it be for the fulfilling role of being used of God in people's lives for His honor and glory. There's no greater fulfillment. No greater opportunity than to be used of God. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Kevin comes with a song of invitation. No one looking in this room. If you're here today and you're lost, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, here's your opportunity. Come know Christ. You don't know when tomorrow you'll be overthrown. Forty days He gave them. I can't guarantee that. I don't have a divine word that says you, you'll have a week. Seven days and you'll be overthrown. I can't even say 24 hours and you'll be, I can't even say five minutes and you'll be overthrown. You have now. Now, while there's breath in your body, now in this moment, come to Him. Come to Christ. Come to know Him. Aren't you glad God uses pliable people and not perfect people? God puts us in purposeful places, not potential places. Not by man's vision, but by God's sovereign power and His Spirit. God gives us a powerful message. Not necessarily one that is the most palatable, but it is the one that is the most effective. It does save. It does change people's destinies from a place called hell to a place called heaven. Why don't you come and know him today? Why don't you, have, why don't you ask God to use you? You may not know what it is. Maybe you purpose in your heart today. God, I, I want to I purpose in my heart. I want to know what you want to do with me in my life. I'm tired of all the toys and the things and the prosperities that I seek. And all of the, the bells and whistles and things that I try to find fulfillment in. God, I want ultimate fulfillment in you. I want to be utilized for the divine purpose that I was created for. Why don't you come down to this altar? Say, God, I want to, I want to know that purpose. I want to fulfill that purpose, that will, that plan for my life.
I want to be used by you. I want to be used to my fullest capacity in what you've called me to do. God, use me. God, use me for your honor and glory. You come. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray you bless this invitation. Speak to hearts in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand